welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We are pleased to bring you the message from this week's worship service. For more information about this message, this week's teacher, and to watch or see other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Father in heaven, we're asking you now that you would uh, open both our minds and our hearts. And we would pray that we would be able to comprehend and understand the truth of your word. Most importantly then that our hearts would be really receptive to whatever we see coming from you. And that we might take it to heart, might be more in your likeness because of it. Uh, might not just simply find better life as a result, but that others may be blessed because of what's happened in our lives. And most importantly, that you would be honored because of it. So we give this time to you and we ask your blessing over it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Probably for the better part of the three years that Jesus walked on this earth, uh, he uh, spent a good, good part of that time just offending people. You know that if you've read the Gospels. He just offended people. And uh, partly because he was going to the people who most felt they had it together. And he announced to them with great authority and confidence that you're doing it all wrong. The things that meant the most to them, he challenged to the greatest degree to say, you're wrong. Now, to put that in perspective, imagine moms. Now, you that are young moms, and, and older moms can remember uh, when you had the little newborns, the young little children, and you are caring for your child with everything you have. You're doing everything you believe is right. And then some other mother comes along and says, what you're doing is wrong. That's harmful to your child. You've got to stop doing that. That is not good. Let me tell you, only fools say things like that to moms who care for their kids. I mean, that is offensive, offensive, offensive. Well, that's what Jesus was doing. He was going to the very best of those involved in Judaism, the faith of God's people. And he's saying to them, you got it wrong. And he said it with confidence, with great boldness. He says, you're all wrong. You're missing the whole thing. As a result of that, the majority of people, they fired Jesus as the long-anticipated Messiah. They said, you're not the one we want. In fact, we know the rest of the story that they go on to kill him because they hate his message. It was so offensive. This morning, we're going to begin looking at one such conversation that he's having with some of the best of those of the faith. It takes us into three parables. It's found in Luke 15. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn there with me to verse 1, and we're going to look just initially now at the first three verses. Then we'll jump into the parables that are being introduced here. We have to know who the players are to appreciate what's going on. And so let's read verses 1 through 3. It reads like this. Now all the tax collectors, sometimes it says tax gatherers, and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. 
both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble. Now, keep in mind, you've got the tax gatherers and sinners. That's who Jesus is really cozying up to. you got the Pharisees and the scribes who are grumbling about what Jesus is doing. And they're saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Now, the parable is really three parables that are really saying virtually the same things. And in light of doing that, he calls it the parable. So we're, we're really going to see kind of one thrust in these three stories. It's odd for him. I think it may be the only time that three back-to-back-to-back parables were given like this. He used some illustrations, but a full parable shows this was very important to him. It gets at the heart of the great issue that was at hand. Now, let's get to know these these parties that are part of the story. You have these two groups called the tax gatherers and the sinners. Now, these are the bad guys of the day. They're the bad guys. Tax gatherers, they are Jewish people who now the Jewish people under the domain, the domination of the Romans, treating them like trash, like slaves. Horrible existence for the Jewish people. And there were certain ones of these Jewish people who said, man, I don't like this. And so they kind of came out and cozied up to the Romans and said, we'll go to our people and collect the taxes that you are levying on them that were unfair taxes. So can you imagine how they hated the tax gatherer? The tax gatherer denied the people of God. Then you have the sinners The sinners were the immoral of the immoral. These were the people who literally prostituted their life for the sake of immorality. They did whatever they wanted to do. Jewish people. So as a result of that, not only were they denying the people of God, they're denying the ways or even what we call the law of God, which was, oh, deplorable. So the Jewish people held these folks in contempt. They said, look, you're the, you're the scum of all scum. We will not associate with you, and neither should anybody else associate with you. And here comes Jesus, the proclaimed Messiah, and he is welcoming the tax gatherers and the sinners. And they're going, oh, my goodness, Are you soft on sin? What is your problem? You can't do this. And they heard him, by these parables, defend what he was doing. This was repulsive to so many of them. Now, you have, at that time, what we're seen as the good guys. Good guys made up of the scribes to begin with. Scribes, literally copier. They're the copyists. They would take the law of God, the precious word of the Old Testament... And they would take that and they would make copies of it so that other people would be able to read it as well. I mean, they spent their life in the most holy place, the Word of God. They were revered. And then the Pharisees. The Pharisees was one of four parties. And you got to understand that all the Jewish people would identify For the most part, there were some exceptions, I'm sure, but for the most part would identify with one of these four parties. Much like today in our political system, though some of these were political, they're primarily religious and intermingled with political, 
But just like in the U.S. today, we have our parties. Some would be Democrats. Some would be Republicans. Some would be Independents. And we may say, well, I don't necessarily agree with this and this, but I'm probably more of this or I'm more of that, even though I don't agree. Well, that was the same way with them. And so they all had their favorite. But you've got to understand, of those four parties, the most esteemed of all was the Pharisees. Let me show you the four parties, and maybe you'll understand why. The first, the Essenes, they were extreme conservatives. And uh, now, these conservatives were religious conservatives. So keep that in mind. When I use conservative and liberal or whatever, I use those terms. I'm talking about religious-wise. And don't put our political word in there because that, that's not going to lead us to the right place. So here they were. These really were conservatives, but they were like monks. Now, we have some revere for monks, but how many of you want to hang out with a monk? You probably say, I don't think it'll be too much fun. Uh, I like talking. They don't talk, you know. Oh, I like da-da-da. You know, so you go, eh. well, that was with them. Uh, yeah, but like what they stand for, but you know what? They're just a little beyond, I don't know. Number two. Yeah, the zealots. Now, they, they weren't so fond, most of them, of the zealots because the zealots were political radicals. They were extremists to the point that some were even terrorists. And so the idea there would be uh, 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 distance. I, I don't want to get, uh, I don't want to associate, don't, don't associate me with those people. So you were either a zealot or you were kind of away from them. Thirdly, there's the Sadducees. Uh, they were spiritual compromisers in that they would be the religious liberals of today that would cut the Bible and say, ah, this has got some merit to it, but this doesn't, this does, this doesn't. And, and, and so the, the best of the best of the Jewish people would look at them and with disdain and say, good gracious, it's repulsive. You shouldn't do that. And then there were, lastly, the Pharisees. These were the spiritual conservatives, morally very conservative their beliefs, very much the Old Testament. And so these were revered people. Now we get to see these people through the eyes of Jesus who saw their hearts, and we see the hypocrisy that's there. But let me tell you, folks, don't think of them like that. These would be your and my very best friends. We would say, wow, have you got it together? Boy, do I want to be like you. I'm impressed. So it was those people that were coming to Jesus, pointing to these sinners that were so miserable a people. Now, three parables. Let's look at them. The first parable is the lost sheep. It picks up in verse 4 through 7. I'm not going to read the first two parables. I'll just tell you, most of you have heard them before. Here's the story of a shepherd that has a hundred sheep. Again, just a parable. hundred sheep, one goes astray. He leaves the 99 to go find the one, and then he comes home rejoicing that he found the one. Then we read in verse 7, I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Then he moves to the second story. It's a lost coin. In verse 8, it starts telling us the story here of a lady who has 10 coins. She loses one of them, and she goes to all the trouble to find. She just looks and looks until she finds that one coin. She had nine left, but that didn't matter. She had to find that one, and then she rejoiced. 
and communicated how thrilled she was. In fact, we read in verse 10, it says, in the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now we come to the third story. This is the story of the lost sons. It's going to pick up in verse 11. It's rather lengthy. I know most of you are familiar with it. I'm going to read it in full, and then I'm going to come back and pull some pieces, so we'll read them a second time. But I think it's important that we get the big context. And some of you are new to the Bible, and I want to make sure you understand the detail of this. So follow as I read this, okay? Verse 11 begins, and he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together, went on a journey into a distant country. Keep those words, distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Hold those words. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything. So it says, but when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger. I will get up, go to my father and say to him, Father, I sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me as one of your hired men. So he got up, came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion for him, ran and embraced him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf, kill it. Let's eat and celebrate. For this son, this son of mine was dead. He's come to life again. He was lost. He's been found. And they began to celebrate. But now he's pretty much told the same type of story here. But he's going to add to this story. And this is going to be the heart of what he's really trying to get across. Now his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry. He was not willing to go in, key words. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look, For so many years I've been serving you, I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him? And he said to him, son, you've always been with me, and all that is mine is yours, or actually is yours for the taking." Now, I hope you pick up the story here that the younger brother is used to describe these terrible sinners, these tax gatherers that were so 
repulsive of people. The elder brother is simply a description of the people he's talking to here who are having a problem because he's entertaining, welcoming these terrible people. And he turns on them and says, look, this is you. You're the elder brother, scribes. You're the elder brother, Pharisees. You need to see who you really are. It was repulsive because of the difference in defining of sin. You see, they define sin as doing those very irreligious and immoral things. Jesus comes along and he says, yes, you defined it in part correctly, but it's also being good. You see, the, the gospel that we have referred to even last week, the gospel we referred to, we called it a counterfeit gospel. The counterfeit gospel says, who needs the gospel? Bad people. Bad people need the gospel. Jesus comes along with the authentic gospel and says, no, bad people and good people need the gospel. That's the great difference. By the way, last week we started the series asking the question, what is the gospel? It's the most important message of this entire series, I will assure you. If you missed last week, get the podcast, get the CD, but somehow go back and listen. Make sure you understand the differences between the counterfeit gospel, the authentic gospel, and then the distorted gospel. Here's the great difference. Counterfeit, bad people, they need the gospel. The real, th the real gospel story? No, bad people and good people. The next two weeks, we're going to be talking about who will embrace the gospel? And then what happens to those who do embrace the gospel? But today we want to focus on this big question, and that is, who needs this gospel? And the answer, in short, bad people and good people. That's what Jesus is going to say. We're going to have three basic teachings that are pulled out of this parable. We're going to hit two of them this week. They're brief. Next week, we'll come back with a third, I think, which is the, the major punch of the three. I think you'll see why. I'll introduce it as I close today. But we want to walk through these two. Here is my hope. My, I'm praying, God, when this series is over, nobody in the church called Perimeter will say, I don't really get the gospel. I don't know who it's for. I don't know how to embrace it. No, no, no. We've got to all know this one. This is very important, okay? So let's look at the first of three important teachings. Three important teachings. And I should say this before I do. If you want to get this to a lot in a much better, better way than I could ever do it preaching a few messages, there's a teacher most of you, many of you for sure, are familiar with, Tim Keller. I think there's none better. Tim's a dear friend. Tim's a part of the PCA that we're a part of. And uh, I've watched and followed his ministry through the years. One of the finest teachers, one of the greatest minds of all. I think of all of his books, perhaps the best. Haven't read all of them, but, but I'll tell you, uh, others will agree. The Prodigal God, which is on this text. And if you want to go really deep into it, go to The Prodigal God. Read that book. I mean, it's outstanding. Uh, what you're going to hear from me doing is parenting a whole lot. 
I, list, I read that book years ago when it came out. It was one of his first, and, and uh, boy, it was so impacting. So I would encourage you. Let me give these uh, first two points. They're brief, but they're important. All people are alienated from God. The teaching of the text is simply all people alienated from God. You remember in our story of the authentic gospel last week, we said we lost it all. All meaning leaving us alienated from God. Totally alienated. We, all people. So all people alienated from God. That's the we, all people. There are no exceptions. Oh, Oh, that means, well, bad people are alienated from God. Got that. What? You mean good people are alienated from God? Oh, yeah. Equally the same. You're either alienated or you're not. And the people who are alienated are bad people and good people. Now, here was their problem. They were concerned that Jesus was welcoming sinners. Again, it all had to do with how they define sinner. And that's why he's giving this parable. I want to say a word to you among us that are, that are seekers, meaning you're seeking the answers to the faith of Christianity. You're just trying to pull it together, figure it out. You need to know this about this Jesus that we hold up as the King of kings and Lord of lords. He welcomes sinners. That's good news. I don't care what sin. He welcomes us. He welcomes us all. In fact, you know, if you look at Luke 19, don't turn there, but Luke 19, there's Zacchaeus. He was a tax gatherer. And, I mean, there is Jesus welcoming a political, and uh, literally a political outcast. He welcomes him. In Luke chapter 7, there's a prostitute. That's a sexual outcast. And what did Jesus do? Jesus just welcomed the prostitute. If you look in, in John 4, there's the Samaritan woman. This is a racial outcast. And Jesus just opens arms and says, welcome, come, come. And then you got throughout the New Testament, at least throughout the, the Gospels, you've got Jesus constantly welcoming social outcasts, the people that were poor, the lepers, who were considered, oh, something must be wrong with you. God let this happen to you. You're the, uh, uh, uh. You're an outcast. He go, no, you come. You come on. See, folks, you that are sinners, this is the best news we could ever, ever, ever want to know. There's no sin we've done. There's no sin we're doing now. That if we deal with it according as God has called us and said, look, come to my love. Just come to me. I'll take care of you. All of everything you got, that'll take care of itself. You come to me. You fall in love with me. And let me tell you, I'm welcoming anybody that'll come into my love. That's the great offer of God. Never, never, never forget that. Very important. Number two, our second important point is that lost people express their alienation from God in different ways. That's important to know. We'll say it just in many different ways. One, we can express that in our prideful rebellion as in the younger brother. Or we can do it with religious moralism as the elder brother. They're just two different ways to express our alienation. It's just a different way of doing it. And so, 
I'm going to suggest that every one of us, one or the other. Now, some of us may kind of dip into both, you know, we're not an extreme one, extreme the other, we're just kind of both, back and forth. But I would bet the vast, vast, vast majority of us will identify more readily with one than the other. And I'm going to ask you if you would do this. When I finish this point and close out, I want everyone, there'll be no show of hands. I will show my hand, but I won't ask you to. I want you to be able to say, I am blank. I am younger brother. I am elder brother. Doesn't mean we don't slip into the other one. That it's not a both end. But which is the primary challenge that you and I face? So I want us all to be willing to do that, okay? Let's look first of all at the prideful rebels. The prideful rebels are deceived by the alluring world because this parable is not really about this as the primary issue. I'm going to read a couple of verses about it again and then make a comment. Let's close with the last point. So, here it is. And he said, verse 11, a man had two sons. The younger son of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together, went on a journey into a distant country. Augustine called that distant country any place where we forget God. Anytime we just forget God. Now we've slipped into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. I know that there are some of us here. Now, this is church. I remember this is church, and good people go to church, right? But I'm telling you, there are some loose living church attenders right now. And and I think you know who we're talking about if it's you. Loose living. You may know that in the quiet of the night, when no one else is aware that you're hooked on pornography, that's loose living. It's going to a distant country. There's some of you that only maybe a spouse or those that are close roommates would know that you got a temper that just won't quit. In public, you're the nice, you're the nice gal, you're the nice guy. But oh, that temper, it rages, loose living, just let it go. Hurt people whenever you want. There are all kinds of expressions of loose living. And I want to say to those who are in this camp of the loose living, Regardless of the expression, you got to know this, you're gambling. Now, I'm not critical that you're gambling because I am a big gambler. I bet a lot. I have no problem with betting. I bet every day of my life to some degree. I don't bet money, but I bet something far more important. I bet my life. You know what I bet every day? I bet every day that God's Word is truth or I wouldn't spend time each morning in it. But I'm betting that, it is, that it's accurate. I'm betting that if I follow what it says, that I'm going to be a blessing to others. I'm going to be blessed as a result. God's going to be honored. I'm I'm just betting on that. I'm betting that when I die, I'm not going to be separated from God because I follow Jesus. I'm betting on that. But you want to keep in mind this, that everybody who's in loose living is also betting They're betting that I can do the sins that I want to sin. I'll do what I want to do. I'll run from God as far as I want to go from God. I I, I mean, you're you're betting too. If you're a Christian, you're making a bet that, you know what, I can still have as good a life without the Word of God. 
If, if you're a Christian and you're saying, you know what, I really don't think it's important to, to give my life to be a reconciler of people, to, to live on mission. That God, I'm just betting that eternity can be just the same in terms of that I won't have any, any sense of regret before the Lord. That I, I, No, we're all betting something. What we want to do is make sure we're betting according to our beliefs. What is so hard to imagine, and is true of all of us, that we are living outside what we believe is really true. That's a stupid bet. You don't ever want to do that. You want to bet according to what you truly believe is your best case scenario. How do you win? You got to figure that out. So there are these that are loose living. They go to a distant country. I think we know exactly who that is and what we're talking about. Now, let's look at the the second and the last piece, and that is religious moralists. They're deceived as well, but they're deceived by their own relative goodness. They just think their goodness is good enough. Look at 25 through 28. Now his, older, now, his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come. Your father's killed the fatted calf because he received him back safe and sound. But he became angry. We'll jump into that next week big time. He became angry, was not willing to go in, and his father came out and began pleading with him. Keep in mind, he was near, but he was not willing to go in. Or look at verse 29 through 31. But he answered and said to his father, look, For so many years I've been serving you. I've never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate my friends. When your son comes, he devours his wealth of prostitutes. You kill the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me. And all that is mine is yours for the asking. It's yours. Boy, the important thing here, when he says, he says, look, You've always, been, you've always been with me. Do you know, to be with him, around him, near him, is one of the great deceptions of all people. But I'm so close to God. I mean, look at my background, look at my history, look at my beliefs. I'm, I'm really, really, really close. The reality is one can be with God while far away from God. It's important to know. Very, very possible. You remember Matthew 7? When Jesus says, many that come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, when I enter the kingdom of heaven, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name, cast out demons, perform many miracles? I never knew you, you practiced lawlessness. You know what he's saying there? These are people that are very near. And by the way, when you're near to God, but not with God, not truly with him, it doesn't mean that you're a hypocrite. I think we're sincere. I think these people said, God, I really thought I was yours. Here was the problem. They got deceived by their own goodness. They went, oh, oh, great danger. Here's how Keller says it. He says, the younger son, he was lost because of his lack of goodness. The older son was lost not just in spite of his goodness, but because of his goodness. He used his goodness as a means to make him feel, I'm okay with the Father. And that's not the case.
Look at number three point, which we'll look at next week. Just to introduce you to it, religious moralists are worse off than prideful rebels. Worse off. So keep in mind, the younger brother was worse. The elder brother was worse off. And so we'll touch on this next week a little bit too. Parents, if you have to make a call, you have to choose whether your child is going to be worse or worse off, what would you want for your child? And if you think through it, you go, I guess I'd really rather it be worse than worse off. You don't want your child to be worse off. You don't want it to be worse either. But if you have to choose, and that's why Jesus is emphasizing the elder brother. Oh, bad, but worse off than bad. Why? Because deceived. We'll look then at four different, I think, important things to realize. The religious moralists relative goodness mask their need of the, of the gospel. Number two, the religious moralist proximity to home convinces them they are not really away from home. Number three, religious moralist pride of performance robs them of the joy of grace. That's an important thing to know. We'll look at that next week. And number four, the religious moralist comparison of personal goodness with those of lesser performance leads to jealousy expressed toward the recipients of God's grace. Certainly the case in our story, we'll see what that means. Then I'm going to, I'll close next week giving five evidences of the older brother mindset, and that'll help us identify even better, even better. So let me ask you which you chose. Did you define yourself more as the younger brother? Did you define yourself more as the elder brother? You see, until we know the problem, it's hard to know how to apply the solution. And so we have to identify, well, what's the issue that I'm dealing with? I said I would show my hand. No doubt about it. You could guess. I'm the elder brother. I'm big time elder brother. Let me tell you, I was an elder brother before I became a child of God. I, I was, I really, I didn't have any problem trying to do right, moral, and good, and I was religious. I believed in God. I thought I was fine. I mean, you're talking about deceived. I was deceived. My parents were deceived. We had no clue. Then when I become a follower, let me tell you, it didn't, it didn't take me long before I can identify that my struggle of life, then as now, is elder brother. I mean, I'm telling you what. I mean, think about it. I've been preaching for nearly 40 years. Doesn't that amount to something? <laughs> it doesn't. In fact, it may be my greatest nightmare because here's what might happen, and I mean this. Do you realize that I may get into heaven? And I may well hear. I know to some degree this is the case. I don't know even to what degree that he's going to say, do you realize how you hung on to your goodness of your preaching just because you were a preacher? Do you know the motives behind much of the preaching that you did? Do you know how much of it was centered on you and yourself and what people thought and the reputation you could build? Do you understand that? Why did you feel like you needed a Why did you? Because you think that's what's going to bring you to be everything you need to be, and that's not what gets you where you need to be. 
It's my love that gets you where you need to be. And just like some people are going out and they're saying, I've got to do this and I've got to do that and I've got to... No, you don't do those things. But you go over here and say, but I've got to do this and I've got to do that. It's the same thing. It doesn't matter. You're just more deceived. It's going to be harder for you to rejoice in the grace that I've given you because there's that, there's that long, nothing wrong with being obedient. That's what I'm asking you to do. But I want it to be outward obedience and a humble, broken heart. That's the combination of not being elder brother or younger brother. And I know that's what I have to battle with. You know, if, I'll say this again next week, I'll illustrate it better next week, but do you understand that in this parable, the reader of the Eastern culture, they would have picked up on something you and I would never know. They would hear that story and they'd say, wait, 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 wait. That elder brother in Eastern culture would be responsible to go out and find the younger brother and bring him back. That didn't happen in the parable. Not in this story. But in the greater story, we need to know this. You need to know that the elder brother went out to find the younger brother one by one. And he sacrificed to the ultimate so that that younger brother could be brought back. And then he celebrates like nobody's business because the younger brother has come back. Our brother is Jesus. That's what he's done for us. I mean, he sacrificed on the cross his own life. Why? So he can bring us back. So that the ultimate of all three stories is God rejoices. He is a welcoming God and he's saying, come home. Well, how do you come home? Elder brother, younger brother, it's the same thing. How do you come into the arms of Jesus? Well, first of all, it's called repentance and it starts back here. And I've said this a thousand times. I'm going to keep saying it to my last breath. I'm going to keep saying it. Repentance is an answer. It's the answer. God has provided everything. Now we just repent and say, God, I want it. I want what you've done for me. So it's saying, I'm wrong. That's why we need to either be able to say, God, I'm an elder brother, or God, I'm a younger brother. Identify what our sin is and agree with him on that. But then it's a step closer and saying, and I'm remorseful. It's not just saying, okay, I did it. Okay, it's wrong, no big deal. But no, God, I don't want to be the elder brother. I don't want to get up and preach with wrong motives. I want to do it. So God, I'm sorry. Then it's coming to that place. Not said only by me, but by so many before me. It's coming to the open arms of a loving father and saying, your love is really enough for me. Just your love, I'll take it. That's good enough. That's what repentance is. And so I'm going to close in prayer. I'm just going to give us an opportunity. If you're a, if you're a younger brother and you're in a distant land, distant country and loose living is, is defining who you are right now well why don't you just tell him hey I'm wrong and I'm sorry and I begin to realize now I'm betting bad I want to bet on, on your love I'm going to bet on your love and come back to his arms and other elder brothers like me let's during our time let's say God I, I'm sorry I, I, I really don't even I don't even look at your grace as so gracious because I see how good I am, and I see what I've done, and my motives are so wrong so often. God, forgive me, and let me come back to your love and say your love 
is enough. So if you'd like to join me in prayer, let's now repent of our sins. Father in heaven, we ask you now, hear us. First of all, as some younger brothers here, we know who we are. We're wrong and we're sorry. We're sorry that we would make such a terrible bet, gamble so much, believing, as some of us do right now, that your love really is enough. And for some reason, we've been going to a distant country to find what we think we need. God, forgive us. And we're going to say to you now, I, I, I just step, want to step right now back into your loving arms, and I want to say you're enough. And that's my, that's my appeal to you now, saying I agree you're enough. And I thank you that you welcome sinners like me. And Father, some of us, like myself, who are elder brothers, we're saying to you now that we're wrong for being the elder brother. And we're sorry for being the elder brother. And now we, just like our younger brothers, we're now coming to you and saying, your love is enough. I see those open arms. Thank you that you welcome people like me. Thank you, our God. You're a good God. And we thank you and love you. And we pray in the great name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.